Hey there, this is the Hello Personality Podcast, the place to take your personality type from a casual curiosity to a life-changing path for growth. I'm Leslie McDaniel, and this is Season 2, Episode 4, in which we're going to take a look at the basic instincts you have for survival in the Enneagram system of personality. Now, this is a really important aspect of the Enneagram because it's the precursor to understanding something called a subtype, which we'll talk about in a second. But one of these three basic instincts tends to get out of control. And when that out of control instinct combines with your core Enneagram type, it combines with the core struggle or passion of your type that we talked about in episode three, and it creates a unique subtype. So subtypes can help explain differences between people of the same type. So let's dive in. As I mentioned, there are three basic instincts for survival. These instincts are, in no particular order, the instinct for self-preservation, which is the desire to protect and preserve your life, the instinct for social belonging, which is being included in the group and working together with the group to survive, and the sexual instinct, which is also called the one-to-one instinct. And it's about being connected to specific individuals as a means for survival. In the non-domesticated animal world, these instincts tend to rise and fall as necessary. And I'm sure you've probably seen these pure instincts illustrated like in nature documentaries or just by observing the natural world. For example, all animals have the instinctual drive to protect themselves and to avoid danger. They feed when they're hungry and they have some level of structure to their daily lives and habits. This is their drive for self-preservation. Animals also have a social instinct to survive. This includes belonging to the herd or group and relying on each other to survive. It could be working together to catch food or huddling together to stay warm or traveling together from one place to the next. Finally, in the animal kingdom, the sexual or one-to-one instinct shows up as bonding with another for the purposes of reproduction and for the survival of the species. Now, in humans, our instincts are distorted, so they don't simply rise and fall as necessary as I was just describing. You have one of these instincts that is used too much, and we call that your dominant instinct. You have one that's hardly used at all, or it's maybe out of your awareness or even avoided altogether, and that is called the repressed instinct. And then there's one that falls in the middle, and it really doesn't have a special name. And it can be a little more used or a little less used, just depending on the person. Now, I want to pause here for a moment before I keep moving on and give some credit to CP Enneagram, and particularly Uranio Pius, uh, who has really helped me to understand these instincts in a lot more detailed way. So much of what I'm sharing with you, I've learned through my training and personal and professional certifications through CP Enneagram Academy. Okay, so keep in mind that the word instinct is really important here. If we look at emotions and thoughts, they say that the speed of an emotion occurs at 10 times the speed of a thought and that an instinct occurs at 100 times the speed of a thought. So we're talking about things that are extremely automatic here. And 
if they're not brought into your conscious awareness, they're going to drive your behavior in unconscious ways. This means that you'll be at the mercy of your instincts unless you bring some conscious attention and work to them. Just like the core struggle of your Enneagram type, which we call the passion of your type and that we discussed in episode three, just like it becomes your automatic and go-to response in the world, your dominant instinct becomes your automatic go-to strategy or reaction to try to survive and get your needs met. So for each type, there's a self-preservation dominant subtype, a social dominant subtype, and a sexual or one-to-one subtype. So this actually gives us 27 Enneagram types instead of just nine. The order that your instincts follow is called your instinctual sequence. When you look at the different variations of sequences that are possible with these three instincts, there are six total possible instinctual sequences. For example, one sequence might be self-preservation first, followed by social, followed by sexual as the repressed. That's one of the six possible instinctual sequences. So now we don't just have 27 possible Enneagram types, We really have nine core types times six possible sequences for a total of 54 unique Enneagram types. So I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know that this is an incredibly detailed way to explain variations of people of the same core type. It's really helpful to understand your full instinctual sequence, like all three, the order of all three, but that can take a while. And even for people who have studied the Enneagram for a long time. And it can be hard to identify your dominant instinct also just by looking at it in isolation or detached from your Enneagram type. So we will start digging into those 27 Enneagram types, the dominant instinct with the core Enneagram passion in the next episode. And we'll see how the instinct looks when it's combined with the Enneagram numbers and the passion of each type. But before we did that, I wanted to share some basics of the instincts with you so so that you can see how they impact the passion of your type when we get there. So keep in mind that the descriptions I'm about to share with you about each instinct may vary or look really different depending on what happens when it combines with the passion of your type. So you may not relate to all aspects of the descriptions of your dominant instinct, if you already know that, but this should give you some guidance for your self-reflection and self-observation. Keep in mind that we have all of these. So you're going to have a really strong relationship with one, and then there's going to be one that's really off your radar or ignored or something that's like, ooh, I don't really, I don't do that. I don't like that as much. One quick note before we get into the instincts. When you're looking at the general behaviors of each instinct, like the self-preservation one we're going to look at first, you need to compare those behaviors and tendencies to people of the same type. Because it may, you know, if we talk about someone having a greater tendency toward being organized, it's in comparison to other people of their same core type. Okay? All right. So let's get started with the self-preservation instinct. When the self-preservation instinct is dominant, There's a greater tendency toward things like having organizational skills, being more cautious, being more generally anxious, having more difficulty trusting others, wanting to be more self-sufficient, and being more focused on things like health, financial stability, and access to food. A self-preservation dominant instinct brings a greater focus on safety, security, and structure, 
and self-preservation dominant Enneagram types tend to be a little more introverted than others of their same type. Now, this is regardless of whether or not you have an overall preference for introversion or extroversion in the 16 type system. So just as an example, I'm technically an extrovert in the 16 type system, but I do tend to be more quiet and reserved and withdrawn as an extrovert because I'm a self-preservation type four. My extroversion in the 16 type system only means that my extroverted energy naturally flows out towards projects and getting things done. All of these traits I've mentioned for the self-preservation instinct are really big generalizations. I can't stress that enough, but the really big generalizations about how a dominant self-preservation instinct can show up and especially when compared to others of the same type. So it may not look like being purely focused on health and cautiousness or safety, for example, but if you compare self-preservation dominant people to others of their same type, the self-preservation people will lean more towards those behaviors than the other two subtypes, the social and sexual versions of their Enneagram type. When one instinct is in overdrive, as we've talked about, it creates a shadow. So for self-preservation, there can be a shadow of selfishness and a desire to stay independent from everyone and to withhold part of yourself. If you might be self-preservation dominant, you'll want to notice and observe these things about yourself. Okay, let's move on to the social instinct. When the social instinct is dominant, there's a greater tendency toward seeking approval and recognition and having a greater concern with their image and things like status and power and being close to people who have status and power. When I've worked with clients who have the dominant social instinct, I sometimes hear things like, but I don't really like groups. Keep in mind, it's an instinct for survival. So it's more about what you get out of your relationship to the group. It's about having value to the group and getting along with the group or being connected to the group in some way for survival. It's a need to be someone important to the group in order to survive. So social dominant people typically seek some level of power or status because those things need a group in order to even hold meaning. Power and status don't mean anything without other people around. With social dominant types, there's generally a strong component of service or of doing things for the social good. In other words, the idea is that if I do this for one person, I'm doing it for all of us. And again, these are all really broad generalizations of how a dominant social instinct can show up, particularly in relationship to other people of the same type who are not social dominant. So just like we mentioned with the self-preservation shadow, there's a shadow for the social instinct, and it's a real possibility of having a hidden God complex. So in other words, a belief that you are very important and that others need you to make things happen. So if you think the social instinct might be dominant for you, this would be something to try and reflect on and observe how it plays out for you. Okay, and finally, let's take a look at the sexual or one-to-one instinct. When the sexual instinct is dominant, it plays out as an instinctual drive to connect, merge, or fuse with one other person as a means for survival. Because of this, the sexual instinct creates aggressive and competitive tendencies and an intensity that can be seen or displayed. 
It can also be impulsive, possessive, and energetic. And I always visualize this instinct as kind of forward leaning. When it comes to the person that the sexual instinct dominant person has their focus on, and that may or may not be a romantic partner, but when it comes to this person, there's a need for that person to be everything to them instead of getting needs met through a variety of people. So the person with the sexual dominant or one-to-one dominant instinct has an intense focus of attention on this person and they want to fuse with them so they can become highly competitive and aggressive to secure this person's attention. The shadow of having this instinct overused is a dark and secret desire to dominate or control their competitors. So as I've already mentioned, the characteristics of each instinct in the dominant position may not show up as purely or as extreme as I've described here because these instincts get combined in an alchemical way with the passion of your Enneagram type. So that combination is alchemical because the instinct and the passion merge to create something really new. And we call that a subtype. In the next episode, we're going to start looking at this alchemical mixture and how it plays out for each Enneagram type. Some people really struggle to find their Enneagram type until they understand the subtypes because the subtypes of one Enneagram type can look so very different from others of the same type. That's especially true for type four and type six. Now, I want to make a comment about wings here. Sometimes people will use wings to help distinguish between people of the same type. So you might hear someone describe themselves as a type two with a one wing or a two wing one, they might say. And it's sometimes written as like a two with a little W and then a one. However, you're, you're going to see in our discovery of the subtypes just how much the instincts and subtypes do a better job at explaining the differences between two people of the same type. That said, I prefer to look at the wings as gentle growth stretches, which we'll probably talk about later in this season. Before we get to the next episode where we talk about the subtypes, you can begin reflecting on your life and your experiences and ask yourself, when has the instinct for self-preservation been active or inactive? When has the social instinct been active or inactive? And when has the sexual instinct been active or inactive? Notice when and how often or how rare each shows up and notice what it looks like. What are the behaviors and the tendencies that are the result of these instincts? If you're not sure which of these instincts is dominant for you or you're not even sure how you relate, that's totally okay. I really just want to encourage you to observe and reflect and increase your self-awareness in those ways. You will gain more clarity as we dig further into each type. Okay, that's it for today. I'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Mm -hmm.